Section 4 of a collection of the facts and documents relative to the death of Major General Alexander Hamilton by William Coleman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2 Continued At a meeting of the students at law in the city of Philadelphia, convened at the county courthouse the 16th instant, for the purpose of adopting proper measures to testify their respect for the memory of Alexander Hamilton, Esquire, Counselor at Law. It was unanimously resolved that, having long contemplated the virtues and talents of Alexander Hamilton as a bright and eminent object of imitation, they sincerely deplore the loss which they and their country have sustained in being deprived of his example. That as a memorial of the lively sensibility which has been excited by his death, they will wear black crepe on their hats for 30 days. John E. Hall, Chairman. George Clymer, Jr., Secretary. In consequence of the intelligence of General Hamilton's death, the bells of Christ Church were muffled on Saturday and yesterday, and the colors of the shipping in the harbor were displayed on Saturday at half-mast. The Gazette of Philadelphia were distinguished on this occasion by the heartfelt effusions of sorrow, which they contained. The following extracts from the political register are eminently entitled to notice for their elegance, their pathos, and their discrimination. The first two are from the pen of the editor, Major Jackson, who was a fellow soldier with Hamilton in our Revolutionary War. The last, it will be seen, is from a correspondent. From the political register. The mail from New York of this morning confirms the melancholy, the heart-rending intelligence of the death of General Hamilton. The mourning countenance of our citizens, the anguish of his friends, the tears of his countrymen proclaim their sense of his worth and offer a just tribute of gratitude to his memory. To the honor of our character, let it be recorded that those who entertained unceasing jealousy of his superior powers while living with honorable feeling lament him dead. After Washington, who alone surpassed him, after the first of men and greatest of heroes, who has rivaled Hamilton in usefulness to our country, in attachment to its interests, in unceasing labor, in the exertion of the most splendid talents for its welfare, the generous and gallant soldier, the wise and virtuous statesman, the eloquent and accomplished orator, the ardent and magnanimous patriot, has fallen the victim of unyielding honor and inflexible integrity. His memory is embalmed in the esteem and affection of his contemporaries and will be consecrated by the gratitude of his country to future ages. Thus hath fallen, prematurely fallen, the hero, to whose military ardor and accomplishments America confessed the highest obligation. The civilian, from whose luminous and correct mind proceeded that invaluable commentary on the Constitution of the United States, which essentially contributed to ensure its adoption. The statesmen to whose talents we are indebted for the organization of our finances and the establishment of our public credit. The jurist and scholar, whose combination of intellectual powers formed the boast and ornament of our country. The patriot, who gave with glowing zeal to that country the increasing efforts of his superior mind. And the man, who, endeared to his friends by every tender and ennobled quality of the heart, received in return the truest affection and the most respectful esteem. Same paper. 
When we say that Hamilton is dead, we can add nothing to the cause of grief. When we remember how he lived, we can add nothing to the luster of his fame. Eulogium sinks languid on the swelling heart. It gives no throb unfelt before. It cites no worth unknown. If the pathetic voice of Cicero were to speak, even from the gloom of the tomb, it could open no new source of regret. It could raise no new emotion of sorrow. Deep and solemn is the grief of a people. The tide swells from ten thousand fountains. The torrent rolls in a resistless course. If the great spirit of our departed glory will linger but a little and delay its ardent flight to the prepared mansions of eternal bliss, it will witness that we are not ungrateful. It will behold the pure and convulsive tributes of unaffected woe. His virtues are reflected from countless tears, and men say he is lost as if nothing was left. The great hope of the nation is sunk. Party rage is overwhelmed in the flood of lamentation, and all men unite in unfeigned eulogiums on the splendid talents, the pure patriotism, the spotless integrity, the noble, disinterested nature of the lost Hamilton. Same paper. The deplorable termination of General Hamilton's career of usefulness to his country and glory to himself, has excited among all denominations of our fellow citizens those strong emotions of sympathy and grief which his long and faithful public services, his great and splendid talents, his firm and inflexible integrity, his active and undaunted bravery, his noble, disinterested, and magnanimous patriotism demanded from a just and grateful people. The soldier of the revolution laments in deep affliction the loss of the hero, who was the generous and affectionate friend of his youth, the unwearied and gallant associate of his toils and dangers, and under whose auspices the honor and glory of our country never would have faded, nor its independence and happiness have ever been subverted. The agriculturalist, the merchant, and the artificer regret with unaffected concern the death of the statesman by whose indefatigable labor and exalted genius, our finances were restored to order and arrangement. Public credit was established, commerce invigorated, manufactures revived, and the means of our present unexampled prosperity and growing greatness brought into full and active operation. The lawyer deplores the loss of a brother civilian, the purity of whose professional life in all the rage for party defamation has never been questioned whose eloquence and learning had neither rival nor detractor, whose talents never were exerted in the cause of injustice, never yielded to the insolence of power, nor justified the practice of oppression. The friend of science mourns over our privation of the scholar, whose mind was the seat of the highest intellectual endowments, whose genius had penetrated the inmost recesses of literature, and whose imagination was as brilliant and vigorous as his judgment was intuitively strong. The moralist and the Christian, while indignant at the powerful but wicked and barbarous laws which custom has prescribed and sanctioned, weep over the lamentable sacrifice which a high and delicate sense of honor, a pure and ennobled regard to fame and reputation, have yielded to jealousy and resentment. The liberal and patriotic ministerialist, with what ardor and violence he may have opposed the founder of federal politics while living, is yet grieved sincerely grieved that our nation should be deprived of powers which conferred honor upon man. And the Federalist, 
who has long listened with wonder and delight to the just precepts of political science which have issued from his lips, who has surrendered to his wisdom and integrity, the post of his protector and most influential of his advisers is overpowered with anguish for his friend and sinks into despondence for his country. Amicus. The editors of the United States Gazette, long known as the leading federal paper of the Middle States, expressed themselves in the following beautiful and energetic language. When a great man falls, his nation mourns. When a great man and a political father falls, in the midst of his days, in his full strength, in the very vigor of his age, at the noontide of his usefulness, his bereaved nation suffers deep affliction. When such a man falls, aside from the ordinary course of nature, cut off by the hand of violence, and sent suddenly and prematurely to be numbered with the silent dead, his fall is yet more deeply and peculiarly bewailed. Such a man has fallen in our nation. Such a man, such a father, was Alexander Hamilton, and in such manner has he fallen, in the midst of his days, in his full strength, in the very vigor of his age, at the noontide of his usefulness, cut off, alas, by the hand of violence. His fall is very deeply and peculiarly bewailed by his mourning country. Of the independence of the nation, he was a bold asserter, a brave champion. Of her invaluable constitution, a most able expositor and defender. Of her infantine prosperity, political and commercial, a most assiduous and successful promoter of her maturity, the pride, the boast, the brilliant ornament, of her future hopes, the darling object, of hopes, alas, how fatally disappointed, how suddenly, how prematurely blasted. A correspondent of Mr. Polson in the American Daily Advertiser thus eloquently vents his grief. Our Hamilton, alas, is no more. Hamilton, the pride and ornament of his country, now sleeps in the tomb. We have lost him in the meridian of his days. Those resplendent abilities which gave luster to our nation have sunk, prematurely sunk, into the grave. The luminous and expanded intellect, so often the theme of our admiration and our praise, is no longer to instruct and delight us. That eloquence to which courts and senates have listened with rapture is forever done. His bereaved country, in humble submission to the will of heaven, will bear, yet mourn, their loss. They will cherish the recollection of the exalted energies of his mind, of the endearing attributes of his heart. They will consecrate his memory by their sorrows and their tears. We are often called upon to deplore the loss of men whose amiable qualities have endeared them to the circle of their private friends. When the hero falls, the tears of his country fall with him. The statesman, the senator, and the patriot spread by their death a general affliction. But it is our lot to bear the aggravated grief that arises at the loss of all these characters. Hamilton, beloved by his friends, endeared to his family. The statesman, the senator, the patriot, the hero, is gone. At the fall of such a man, grief is silent, and eloquence muses eulogiums which cannot be expressed. The citizens of New York, in a manner honorable to the character of our country, have upon this occasion forgotten their political distinctions and all joined in demonstrations of sorrow at departed greatness. The presses in that city, under the conduct and support of the political adversaries of General Hamilton, announce his death with appropriate lamentation. 
citizens of Philadelphia, citizens of America, you will all share in the testimonies of grief at departed genius. The solemn and affecting death of the zealous defender of your revolution, of the companion in arms of your Washington, of the eloquent expounder of your constitution, claims a general mourning. The portfolio thus introduces the subject, Imperial Honor's Awful Hand Shall Point His Lonely Bed. This morning, intelligence of the death of Major General Alexander Hamilton has saddened this city and will long afflict the nation. He was killed by the Vice President of the United States in a duel, fought on a Jersey shore, on the morning of the 11th of July. Whether General Hamilton was or was not a victim to private malignity, fomented by party rancor, his untimely death will be permanently regretted by every American who remembers the signal services, both in the cabinet and in the field, which this accomplished scholar, this valiant soldier, this sagacious statesman has rendered to a country, which, without his courage and counsels, would have long since moldered into insignificance or maddened into anarchy. At the conclusion of the article, Mr. Denny breaks forth in the following elegant strain of lamentation. Thus has perished in the prime of life and in the midst of his usefulness Alexander Hamilton, the man of exalted sentiments and extensive views, whose theories guided the statesmen, whose eloquence influenced senates, whose delicacy might have polished courts, and whose versatile talents blessed mankind. He has fallen, not in the course of nature, not jeopardizing his life in the high places of the field, but by a private and petty hand. And his perplexed and sorrowing country makes the pathetic interrogatory of the royal psalmist. Know ye not that there is a great man fallen this day in Israel? Upon opening the general's will, there was found enclosed in it a letter to his wife, written on the fourth instant, in which he tells her that he had endeavored by all possible means to avoid the duel, but that he found it impossible unless by acting in a manner which would justly forfeit her esteem, that he should certainly fall and she would receive that letter after his death. He begs her forgiveness for being the cause of so much pain to her and earnestly entreated her to bear herself up under that load of grief with which she would be overwhelmed, placing a firm reliance on a kind providence who would never desert her. The subsequent portfolio was entirely devoted to the subject. This paper, says Mr. Denny, was consecrated to the memorial of Alexander Hamilton, of whose afflicted country, bereaved of her brightest, greatest, and most steadfast hope, it may be appropriately said, in the words of an eloquent ancient, Quae cum magna modis multis miranda videtur, gentibus humanis regio, visenda fertur, rebus opima bonis, multa munita virum vi, nil tamen hoc habusi viro preclarius inse, nec sanctum magis, et carumque videtur. Then follows the correspondence accompanied by the letter of Bishop Moore, to which are subjoined the funeral obsequies, the funeral oration, and the best written eulogiums that have appeared in the various papers. The following paragraphs from Mr. Denny's own polished hand close the memorial. The elegant encomium with the signature of Amicus, which we reprint from the register, 
is an eloquent and affectionate tribute to the memory of the illustrious dead. We add with peculiar pleasure that, with one disgraceful and infamous exception, the editors of the daily papers of Philadelphia have manifested their respect for the memory of Hamilton, in panegyric the most pathetic, liberal, ingenious, and sincere. With respect to the city at large, its grief has been by no means limited in extent or feeble in expression. Thrusting aside, as unworthy consideration, the rancorous Jacobin, the scoffing deist, the sniveling fanatic, and the imported scoundrel, we have heard the voice of deep lament from every side. All who have a tear for pity, all good and true men, all genuine patriots, the votaries of Christianity, the votaries of genius, every magnanimous, every virtuous individual, have bewailed the private loss and the public calamity. On the Saturday when this national misfortune was first reported in the city, the editor, as he took his melancholy rounds, was struck with a contemplation of the general anxiety, and when he beheld those who wept for the fall of Hamilton, and those who were indignant at its cause, he could not avoid remembering the picturesque description by a great historical painter. Neque populi aut plebis ulevox, sed Antoniti vultus, et converse ad omina ores, non tumultus non quies, sed quale magni metus, et magne irae silentium est. We have remarked with signal satisfaction that with very few exceptions, the respectable society of friends have testified a sincere regret for the hapless lot of Hamilton. Though their peculiar tenets preclude a sad ostent, in memory of the dead, though they wear no inky cloaks nor customary suits of solemn black, yet theirs is the sagacity to discern the value of a great statesman, and theirs is the silent sorrow which muses at his loss. The friends of the editor are very respectfully notified that the publication of the portfolio has been postponed that he might present a complete and accurate view of a most sinister event which has overwhelmed America with affliction. Notwithstanding his utmost pains and his fervent zeal to exhibit all that is plausive and respectful of that greatness and goodness, so conspicuous in the character of General Hamilton, it is apprehended some omission or some error may appear from the very eagerness of the editor to do ample justice to the subject. Hereafter, the column of Hamilton's fame may be indicated by no random or feeble hand. Meanwhile, I thus remember the pathetic prophecy of the classic historian, which Tacitus has not applied with more truth to Julius Agricola than it may be applied to Alexander Hamilton. Quid quid ex illo amavimus, quid quid mirati sumus, manet mansurmuque est in animis homininum fama rerum, nam multos veterum, Velut inglorius et ignobilis, oblivio obruet, il, posteriati narratus et traditus, superste erit. Extracts will now be indiscriminately presented from various other papers in the order they appeared. They will all serve to show that the tears which flowed on the death of Hamilton were not confined to a few men, nor to a particular party but that it was the nation who wept for his loss. The following eminently beautiful lines, marked equally by delicacy and pathos, first appeared in the American Citizen. 
we presume from the signature they are from the pen of Mrs. R., a lady whose effusions have sometimes heretofore adorned the columns of the Morning Chronicle. The Grave of Hamilton Soft beam thy rays, fair daughter of the skies, with rich profusion gilding o'er this scene of deep repose and death. Each vagrant breeze lies hutched within its cell, in seeming fear the solemn calm of nature should be broken, save when a solitary zephyr's sound, sighing in mournful cadence through the trees, seems like a parted spirit's whispering voice which tells of woe to come. A chilly horror rushes through my frame, as o'er this sad sepulchral scene I tread, with slow and winding step, lest on some grave haste might impel my feet. Nor you, ye wise, smile at the superstition fond, which deems the act unholy and a sacrilege to nature's laws. Oh, rather join and pay the reverence due to nature's sad remains. This is the spot my wandering feet have sought, the last receptacle of him who once was great and good. Alas, how far beyond the reach of common nature's, his it was to blend each noble quality which forms the soldier, statesman, and endearing friend in happy union. His the feeling heart, which to the tender charities of life beat in kind unison. The electric power of genius was his own, in such degree, that all stood mute before him. Awful lesson to man's fond vanity, that Hamilton, whose wisdom, goodness, valor were almost beyond all parallel, has bowed beneath death's iron scepter, and but late entombed that eye, whose lightning spoke the soul within. Those lips, whose sounds and pleasing fetters held each ear attentive, moldering in the dust. Bright dart the moonbeams o'er his lowly grave, and by their silvery light methinks I read a name to him allied, his eldest hope. Heart-piercing sight, here, side by side arranged, father and son lie wrapped in long repose. Alike untimely fallen, victims alike to honor, tyrant of the feeling heart. O hapless mother, widowed wife, what words can paint thine anguish? Scarce the streaming tears which deep maternal sorrow taught to flow were dried from thy pale cheek, when this rude blow struck at the beam of peace that still remained and tore it from thy breast. May each blessed power, kind guardians of the good, with constant care support thy grief-worn heart, and resignation upon thy bosom shed her healing dew. For him who lies this sacred dust beneath, vain is our deep regret. A nation's tears, a nation's prayers could not avail to add one moment to his life. Yet to ourselves a soothing melancholy pleasure springs from every tribute rendered to his worth. How justly all must know. Fond memory still delights to trace the youthful warrior's steps from field to field, but chiefly loves to dwell on southern plains where York extends her bounds, where to the desperate charge his troops he led, then on the vanquished foe benignly smiled. Sure angels from their bright abodes looked down and blessed a victory worthy of a hero, unmarked with blood's contaminating stain, valor and mercy for his youthful brow a laurel crown entwined with fairest flowers, perennial intermixed, still shall it bloom, though cold and motionless the hand that won it, and to remotest ages give it sweets. But why recount his deeds in war or peace? 
or all Columbia's wide extended shores, his name long since was heard. Who did not know in worth and valor few were found his equals, in genius none? Then be his well-earned fame confided to a grateful people's care. Clara The Albany Sentinel Those citizens of Albany who are desirous of uniting to express their sorrow and regret at the loss our country has suffered in the death of one of its firmest citizens, Alexander Hamilton, are requested to meet at the City Hall at 6 o'clock this evening. City of Albany At a common council held in and for the City of Albany at the City Hall of the said city on the 17th day of July, 1804. The Common Council, having heard with extreme regret the untimely and afflicting death of Major General Alexander Hamilton, resolved unanimously that as a tribute of respect to the memory of that exalted and most worthy man, the members of the Common Council and the officers of this corporation will wear a mourning crepe on the left arm for the space of six weeks. Extract from the Minutes of the Common Council, Richard Lush, President. At a meeting of the Albany Military Association at Lewis's City Tavern on the 17th of July, 1804, Lieutenant Colonel Van Schaik, President, the association convened for the purpose of paying a suitable testimony of respect to the memory of Major General Alexander Hamilton, in whose death our country has to deplore the loss of a patriot, a statesman, and a soldier. Our state, a dignified and illustrious citizen, and genius, honor, and humanity, one of their brightest ornaments. Resolved unanimously that the members of this association will wear crepe as mourning for Major General Alexander Hamilton deceased for the space of six weeks, and also on the first company parade and regimental review. Extract from the minutes, John Willard, Secretary. The Albany Register, Democratic. In our last, we mentioned slightly that General Hamilton had been mortally wounded in a duel with Colonel Burr. This melancholy intelligence has since been confirmed to the deep regret of all who admire genius, respect talents, or revere a dignified spirit of honor and integrity. Such was the spirit which animated the soul of Hamilton and which commanded for his personal character the veneration of all classes of citizens, not excepting the most decided of his political enemies. With these we have ever ranked, but this consideration shall not check the expression of our feelings. Who is there that will not mourn the loss of a man whose unrivaled eloquence alone rendered him the ornament of his profession and the pride of his country? As a politician, we did not regard him, but as an exalted genius, as an eloquent, brave, generous, frank, and honorable man, we shall ever lament his loss and revere his memory. The Trenton Federalist in this day's Gazette, we present our readers with the interesting correspondence between General Hamilton and Colonel Burr preceding the fatal rencounter, which has deprived our country of one of its brightest ornaments. While we would lament the supposed necessity which called the venerable deceased to the field of death, we should unite our griefs and mingle our tears with the thousands who are deeply bewailing the severe and perhaps we might add irreparable loss. Another of the heroes of our revolution, another of the founders of our republic, has been hurried to the tomb. Another of the pillars of our commonwealth has been tumbled into ruins. Since the departure of our Washington, the death of no man has excited such general grief 
or covered our country with so general a mourning. Even those who were, while he lived, his political adversaries, seem to have buried their opposition in his grave, and many of them, lamenting the loss which their country and society have sustained, place themselves among the foremost to pay every tribute of respect to his splendid merits and transcendent abilities. Alas, Hamilton the sage, the soldier and the patriot, is no more. In the vigor of years, and in the midst of eminent usefulness, he has gone to the mansions of the dead. Over his ashes it becomes the country he has served with such devoted zeal, such inflexible integrity, and such prosperous success, to raise some splendid memorial which shall bid future generations venerate his name and emulate his attachment to the public welfare. But ah, when we reflect that no monument marks the spot where repose the ashes of our Washington, we fear this testimonial of gratitude must be left to other times. Like him, however, he has raised for himself a monument which shall defy the blast of ages to tarnish, or the corroding tooth of time to deface. Light be the sod which lies upon his breast, green be the grass which grows upon his grave, eternal be the laurels which flourish round his tomb. The Federal Ark It is recommended to our fellow citizens of Delaware that following the example of their brethren of New York and Philadelphia, they wear crepe on the left arm for thirty days in honor of the late General Hamilton. Time has been gathering to the tomb the heroes and sages of our revolution, and Hamilton, with his blushing honors thick upon him, has yielded to its omnipotent sway. When he fell, the genius of America, recollecting with gratitude and swelling with grief, shed a tear to his memory, which blotted out forever the imperfections of the man from the brilliant record of his virtues. Our tutelary genius presided at his birth, nature was his foster mother, virtue blushed not to call him her son, wisdom claimed him as her favorite son, patriotism with rapture pressed him to her bosom, and valor by her side, smiling on her caresses, resolved to complete the man. Enrolled in the list of our heroes, thy name, Hamilton, shall never be forgotten. As a great man in common with the world we admired, in the circle of the private citizen we loved thee, and as a champion in the cause of our liberty, we know not how to express to thee our gratitude. The electric shock has appalled and paralyzed the country. Party spirit foregoes its rancor. Commerce, with its busy step, forgets its course. The great and small alike pay the tribute of a tear and feel, in the loss of Hamilton, a national calamity. Obeying, then, the impulse of our own feelings, let us join our fellow citizens in paying the last sad tribute to his memory. A Friend to Departed Merit Mr. Coleman, if the following are not entirely unworthy of their exalted subject, please give them a place in the evening post. A. Verses on the Death of General Hamilton Soldiers of freedom, veil your eyes, for low in the dust your leader lies. No more his gleaming steel he draws, the foremost in his country's cause. Patriots, who in the rolls of fame have nobly earned a glorious name, with melting grief your loss deplore, the second Washington's no more. You children of Columbia weep, your statesmen's locked in death's long sleep, until the course of time is rolled, his like you never shall behold. Offspring of feeling, o'er his bier, heave the swollen sigh and drop the tear. For others' woe his eyes knew well, to pour their streams his breast to swell. 
Poor widowed and dejected land, where canst thou find, like his, a hand to prop the fabric of thy state, and shield thee like o'er-ruling fate? Well mayest thou grieve and hang thy head, thy boast, thy guardian power is fled. O oh, why, ere heaven reclaimed his mind, was not his mantle left behind? The following lines, considered as the production of a young miss, only twelve years of age, a favorite of General Hamilton's in his lifetime, will be read with some interest. Elegy on the Death of General Hamilton Hark, while the deep-toned solemn funeral bell proclaims some chief has bade the world farewell. Mark how they pay to worth the tribute due, while pitying tears the mournful cheek bedew. Well may they weep and for his loss deplore, his country's friend, great Hamilton's, no more. Who will not sigh when virtue meets the doom and generous worth is summoned to the tomb? But in the feeling mind he'll ne'er expire, still crowds shall bless him, blessing still admire. Still shall he live, the favorite of fame, who through the world shall sound his honored name. Record the virtues in his soul combined, true to his friends, nor to his foes unkind. Candid as truth, like innocence sincere, liberal and just when others' faults appear. And when an error or a vice he found, he scorned to add reproaches to the wound. When he fought nobly in his country's cause, t'was not ambition of a vain applause, but from pure motives like a patriot brave, her rights, her laws, her liberties to save. Shall then Columbia's sons their grief repress? Shall they not all their virtuous hero bless? Who is there now can unconcerned appear, and from his memory withhold the tear? See at the tomb what mournful crowds attend. O patriot, hero, husband, father, friend. Now free from cares, from mad revenge secure, angels shall waft thee to those regions pure, where worth like thine shall find its bright reward, and faction's murderous arm is never reared. L.L. The New Haven Visitor the painful task this day devolves on us of announcing to our readers an event at once awful and distressing. The illustrious Alexander Hamilton is no more. He expired on Thursday last of a wound received the preceding day in a duel with Colonel Burr. This fatal duel, which has deprived the world of so great and distinguished a character, originated, we understand, not from any particular cause, but from a long course of political animosity. Same paper. We presume our readers will pardon us for engrossing this day's paper with accounts of the tragic scene in New York. We have endeavored to present the most important parts of the whole to them, that they may, with one view, behold the deplorable consequences inseparable from a custom that sets at defiance the laws of God and man, and is as barbarous as vicious. It appears that the cause of this forever-to-be-lamented duel was of no great moment. The scene is opened with a trifle apparently as light as air, but soon becomes deeply interesting and affecting. Its progress is marked with death, a funeral, and bitterest weeping. In it we behold the vice president, the second magistrate of five millions of people, in direct contempt of all law, all morality, all religion, and apparently without any just provocation, raise his hand against and deliberately destroy the life of one of our first and most distinguished characters 
a character who would do honor to any country, to any age, and who could not die without a nation wept. Let us imagine this venerable man, this great victim of false honor, bleeding before us. C. Rolled in blood he gasping lies, to daring man pride's noblest sacrifice. His snow-white bosom heaves with writhing pain, the purple drops his snow-white bosom stain. His cheeks of rose are wan, a deadly hue, sits on his face that chills with lucid dew. Swiftly his color flies, he groans, he dies. Yes, he dies, but his well-earned fame will never die. It will ever be held in remembrance by his grateful country. Among the papers, federal or democratic, which have done themselves honor by their manner of speaking of the late melancholy event, we particularly distinguish the National Aegis. The following elegant extract is from the pen of some gentleman who occasionally assists in writing for this print. The National Aegis. Death of General Hamilton. The last Southern males have brought to us a melancholy confirmation of this distressing intelligence. On Wednesday, the 11th instant, at 8 o'clock in the morning, he received a mortal wound in a duel with Colonel Burr and expired the day following at 2 o'clock. The particulars, so far as they have transpired, will be found under the New York head. The papers of that city having observed a cautious and gloomy silence on this occasion, it is not in our power to satisfy the curiosity of our readers by detailing all the dreadful circumstances of this disaster. Enough, however, is developed to awaken the sensibility and to excite the keenest anguish of all those who are disposed to forget the lighter shades of political difference in the overwhelming distresses of their fellow creatures. We notice with pride and satisfaction the arrangements which had been made among all classes of people, of whatever profession or party, in the city of which he was an illustrious inhabitant, to render a feeling and the unequivocal testimony of esteem for his character of regret for his death, and respect for his memory. Personal resentment has been soothed, private animosity has been forgotten, and the spirit of party has been lulled to repose by the contemplation of this calamitous event. The patriot, to whatever political sect he may belong, remembers in him the firm, the enlightened, the profound, the inflexible statesman. The soldier looks back with grateful devotion on his revolutionary labors and reveres the intrepid friend and companion of our first and greatest revolutionary hero. The man of letter mourns with milder sorrow the learned philosopher and the accomplished scholar. The admirer of eloquence dwells with rapture on the musical accents of his voice, the beautiful sublimity of his language, and the irresistible force of his persuasion. He who delights in the blandishments of life and finds comfort and consolation in the enjoyments of social intercourse cannot withhold a tear when he calls to his mind the amiable and interesting traits in his character, which had won the affection of all who were comprised within the extended circle of his acquaintance, his family, but here remembrance is too painful. Within the narrow compass of two years, a wife and a mother has followed to the grave a son and a husband both victims to the same cruel and untimely destiny. The annals of our country do not record an instance of parallel distress. We forbear to harrow up her soul by cold and unfeeling reflections on the manner of his death. If an inveterate and deep-rooted custom is ever to be exploded, it will be done, not by the labors of the moralist or the threatenings of the preacher, 
Scenes of such poignant affliction will sink deep on the memory and will serve as an awful warning to the followers of that treacherous phantom, which leads to beguile and seduces to destroy. For the Evening Post, an irregular ode. Hark how the passing bell heaves to the gale its sullen swell, and lo, in sorrow's pomp arrayed, to the dull beat of death, the slow-moving cavalcade. The half-suspended breath scarce frees the struggling sigh, and hallowed tears bedew mute beauty's eye. Now o'er the mansions of the dead behold the solemn measured tread, around their slumbering hero drawn, the silent soldiers print the lawn. Now the long blaze arrests the gaze, the hollow vaults resound the blazing sky, the thundering ground, the steadfast eye. More eloquent than pity's flow proclaims the soldier's manly woe. High o'er the scene the curling cloud aspires, fraught with a nation's fervid sighs. The mighty incense seeks the skies, and heaven approves the scene, for Hamilton expires. In compliance with the wishes of the public here, Mr. Knott's discourse will make part of the next number. End of section 4